There's a lot that Mike Bloomberg could buy because he has a lot of money. I don't know if there's any truth to it. Whatever the case, the balloon is out there now, and it is a fascinating thing to sort of game out and think about what the ramifications of such a deal might be. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Huck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm John Kelly, in for Peter Hanby. It's Monday, Media Monday, December 26th. Today, Dylan Byers and I talk about the explosive report out of Axios that Mike Allen and Sarah Fisher published on Friday, claiming that Mike Bloomberg is pondering acquiring not just the Washington Post, but even maybe Dow Jones, the parent company of the Wall Street Journal. Dylan and I will talk about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily. I'm John Kelly in for Peter Hamby, who remains somewhere in Europe with Ari Emanuel and Elon Musk in the Mediterranean Sea. I'm joined here with Dylan Byers, who, as many of you know, we normally abscond with his reporting on this program. And I'm going to be totally on the level here. Dylan and I taped a show before the holidays, and then we scrapped it because we both wanted to talk only about this report in Axios. Sarah Fisher published on Friday that claimed that Mike Bloomberg is interested in buying not just the Dow Jones company, the parent company of the Wall Street Journal, but also possibly the Washington Post, which is owned by one of the few people on earth who's even wealthier than Mike Bloomberg, Jeff Bezos, of course. Dylan, we exchanged notes very, very early in the wee hours Friday morning when you were supposed to be off, and I was too, I suppose. What do you think is going on here, and how the hell did this happen? Well, first, when I saw the, the push notification, it was like Christmas came early. First of all, what will Mike Bloomberg buy in the media space has been a, a parlor game uh, among the chattering classes for decades. And any time Mike Bloomberg, you know, comes out of the mayoral office or, or comes off the presidential trail, these questions sort of like, what is he going to do? He's got this media empire. How is he going, going to expand it? And the, the second I saw this, I was immediately reminded of a piece that Gabe Sherman wrote for New York Magazine a decade ago that has this wonderful little vignette. Michael Bloomberg is in Paris. 
at the hotel and he turns to a friend and says, do you think I could buy the New York Times? The friend says, I don't think they have it in this hotel. And he says, no, no, no. I mean, do you think I could buy the New York Times? And the truth is, is that Mike Bloomberg, there's a lot that Mike Bloomberg could buy because he has a lot of money. And Bloomberg is an incredibly powerful media organization, largely by virtue of the terminal. But the idea that he could, with with one stroke of one sort of savvy M&A move, could take it to the next level if he buys the Washington Post could he all of a sudden really compete with the New York Times at a global level? If he buys Dow Jones, could it become sort of the sole and only important financial news engine? These are really intriguing questions if you're if you live in, in the world of Puck or if you're on the media beat. I don't know if there's any truth to it. I don't know if this is a trial balloon from him, a trial balloon from one of his some a member of his inner circle. Whatever the case, the balloon is out there now, and and it is a it is a fascinating thing to sort of um, game out and play through and think about what the ramifications uh, of such a deal might be. I'm glad you brought up the now ancient seeming Gabe article because it, it's certainly true that that Mike Bloomberg was always considered the the waiting in the wings owner of the New York Times, especially back in yore when um, when it seemed like there were, there was a moment where the Times might need a a rescue buyer uh, after the financial crisis. What's so fascinating is that obviously um, we have no idea where this came from, but it does seem like it's someone familiar with his thinking. And he's got a pretty thick inner circle of political media advisors who it's unclear um, necessarily if they, you know, are working on the foundation, if they're advising his philanthropies, if they're advising his own very methodical political moves. The Washington Post thing uh, seems a little absurd to me. And I think, frankly, if Bloomberg is really serious about buying either of these, it's hard to imagine that he would allow this information to get out there. Because these are, in Rupert Murdoch and Jeff Bezos, you're talking about two of the few people who are in the Bloomberg stratosphere. One's a considerably wealthier, um, uh, at least on paper, and, and, and Murdoch with the uh, after the Disney acquisition is, you know, I think Murdoch's almost as flush as Bloomberg, or at least, you know, he can sniff the rim. I think Bloomberg's worth about $80 billion now. But you don't do business with, with your peer set this way, which is why I think that this is, is in, the, in the offing. I also think that if he ever, ever really wanted to acquire the post, um, this would be a, a truly bizarre way to do it. I don't think Jeff Bezos wants this off his hands, even if he can pull off a, um, a generous, like, 20x multiple. You know, I think Bezos paid 250 for it. And if Bloomberg actually wanted to buy it, he'd have to offer a generous premium. The New York Times is trading at like five and a half billion. So let's just call it five. I'm just making up numbers here. I'm not I'm, I'm not REA, but like that's that's a lot of money. And I think probably enough to for Jeff Bezos to actually justify holding on to the asset. Of course, the journal thing is interesting. Bloomberg is of a, a generation where that it's such a coveted asset. I worked at Bloomberg uh, when he bought Business Week. I was part of the team that did that. He bought it just because he loved it. Apparently, everyone who forms his sort of, you know, sinecure-ish investment committee said, don't do this. This is a disaster. It's a dog, as uh, I remember someone saying uh, to me at the time. But he said, no, I want to do it anyway. And I want to put my name on it. So the guy will do what, whatever he wants. Um, and it is it is quite something to behold, the combination of, of Bloomberg media and the Wall Street Journal, uh, there will be some hypothetical regulatory hurdles to to get through there because it would be so massively powerful. And I have to admit, Dylan, and I'll shut up, but the first thought that crossed my mind was, oh, my God, 
would Justin Smith have loved or salivated to be the CEO uh, in, 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 in charge of this? Um, I'm sure he loves life in startup land, but this is quite a different kettle of fish, as they say. Yes, I agree with you that it's probably a smoke bomb. I think the question is just trying to figure out who threw it. I mean, just to, to, to get into the how, how the sausage is made, and since everybody knows everybody in our business, look at the byline on the piece. So it's Sarah Fisher, and I also think it's Mike Allen. What you have there are two great, wonderful reporters, but who are also willing to, I think, get this tip, receive this tip across the transom, know that it comes from someone in the inner circle, and that's probably enough to move it. At the very least, someone in his orbit is saying something based off of conversations, I think, that have probably been floated around. Is Bloomberg... Did Bloomberg necessarily want it out there? You're absolutely right that this is not the way he would conduct business with his peer set, whether it's Rupert or Bezos. On the other hand, is it such a bad thing to have it out there and and to sort of have, have you know, the, the everybody and their mother in New York media like debating whether or not this would be a good idea and how would you do it and how would the market respond and, and why is this smart and why is it not? And then all of the various, you know, activist investor types can sort of think about you basically play out the scenario across 150 different parallel universes of what could go right and what could go wrong. And look, it's not at all clear that that Rupert Murdoch's desire to tie up Fox and, and News Corp is going to work. If it doesn't work, News Corp is sort of hanging out there, perhaps ripe for an acquisition. And then as you and I have discussed many times, and as Peter and I have discussed, the Washington Post all of that success and that growth story it was telling two or three years ago, that's done. And right now, the story out of the Washington Post is one of, of failed leadership and questions about the, few, the the growth strategy and how long would it even take the Washington Post to catch up with the New York Times? Again, I don't have any indication from anyone I talked to that, that Bezos has any interest in selling the paper. I don't think he does. But there are things here that sort of make sense and and can get you excited. I mean, the New York Times deserves a really great competitor that's playing playing ball at its level. And, and Bloomberg would probably be the guy to do it. No, we're definitely talking each other into this, which, which I like here. <laughs> yeah. Mike, just do it. Do it, Mike. All right, Dylan, let's pause for a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, ChiliPad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash 
powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code POWERS. This offer is available exclusively for Powers That Be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Washington Post is probably very valuable in the sense that um, it creates DC relevance and, and legacy, which um, I could see as being meaningful. I do think too, as uh, again to, to make the, um, the the bull case for this, we discussed this I, I think uh, last week that the new Fox Corporation does seem like it's the most vulnerable in this world that we're entering now. A lot of the assets just don't make a ton of sense together. There are a lot of broadcast assets that seem like they're going to be left behind as streaming moves into sports and probably eventually news after that. I think it'd be uh, naive not to uh, sort of envision that future. There are all kinds of persnickety issues with um, with the Wall Street Journal and, and Dow Jones being a part of a company that that also has you know Fox News. Uh, I mean, anyway, the Murdochs don't have to, to care about any of that, but I just wouldn't put it past Murdoch. And this is based on like zero psychology. I hate pretending on people's minds, but I think he'll do what he wants. And he'll, and I think there's a world in which maybe, maybe there is some successionish Machiavellianish way of depriving his son from owning this or, or, or just taking it away. And, and that there is some validity to the fact that either these Murdoch entities have to combine or they just have to begin a sell-off process. And that is a, a place where Mike Bloomberg is, I think in many ways, pretty much the perfect buyer of anything. You know, if you said like the New York Yankees are on sale, who would you trust to buy them? I'd say Mike Bloomberg. You know, <laughs> if, if if you, but truly, if you, if you said like, you know, Saudi Aramco is for sale, who would you trust to buy that? Mike Bloomberg. If you, if you, right. you know, needed someone to negotiate peace, you know, in the Middle East or in Russia, like Mike Bloomberg is, um, yeah, who cares if he tells you you can't have too much sugar in your soda? Like he's, he's the dream buyer. <laughs> For, for all these assets and, um, and, and Bloomberg Media is probably too small for him. That's right. But here's what, just one last, sorry, one other countermanding point though, to uh, now that I've whipped myself into a frenzy sketching out the, the term sheet here, is that I suspect after Justin left Bloomberg Media, Justin Smith left Bloomberg Media, it did seem like they gave the job to, I believe, a guy named Scott Havens, and we have not fully seen a sense of ambition inside Bloomberg Media. Now, this could go either way. And, and I'm, again, not trying to be a tea leaf reader here. I don't get the impression in the last 12 months that it's in building mode the way that it very much was like 10 or so years ago when, when Gabe wrote that story and Seth Manukin wrote one for Vanity Fair. It was clearly, you know, they brought in Andy Lack. They invested heavily in, in television. They bought Business Week. They had a, a radio footprint. They had, you know, a gazillion outposts around the world. You know, and even years later, when Heilman and Halpern went there, and, and Josh Tarangle, uh you know, built the, the Josh Topolsky business, 
It doesn't seem like they're actively spending that way anymore. Um, this hypothesis is, is somewhat at odds with that, but it, it also just may be irrelevant because Mike Bloomberg could do whatever he wants in his own house. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I think, first of all, I think that's right. My recollection of covering that when Bloomberg came back from the mayor's office, I think I was back at Politico covering it, was he basically came back and was like, you know, he's a he's a very smart guy, but who re- who recognizes he doesn't need the showy side of media necessarily, right? He just needs a sound business. And I think my recollection is there was a part of him which is like, what we had a, we had the terminal business doing very well. What what did you do? Like, why are you paying Heilman and Halperin, you know, a million each for a show that that is sort of like a, a car crash? And I think they scaled that back, and I think they they turned again to just being focused on the business community, not necessarily needing to do big showy endeavors in the world of say politics or tech. But I do think that his ambitions in media remain. And I think that if he were to think that Dow Jones or the Washington Post could get him there in a very clean and responsible way without any of the mess of like big egos or, or, or you know, showy projects that, that cost a fortune and don't go anywhere. You know, I, I think that's something he thinks about a lot. You're absolutely right. That's how I recall it too, that when he got back from the mayor's office, I think he looked around and said, what happened here? Bloomberg News got extraordinarily large um, in that period. And was a enormous loss leader. And, and I'm totally persuaded by the view that terminal users who obviously make up the core of that $10 billion annual uh, revenue, they'll want to consume all their news on the device. So Bloomberg was smart to say, well, we're going to have, you know, we'll, we'll pay to create our own news service so that people have market making information that they can use to, to facilitate their day. But they didn't need like, you know, 40 book reviews published every day or, you know, dining reviews or, again, these, these political TV shows. Like, it, it, I think um, there was some, uh, some shark jumping, but to bring it full circle for a moment, uh, what was also clear is that um, I remember when I worked at Bloomberg Businessweek, it was so obvious that Bloomberg himself just lusted after The Economist. In fact, he actually hired the, the guy who ran The Economist to run Bloomberg News after Matt Winkler left. And it was this funny thing that was always subtly put in our faces that, you know, he bought business because he liked reading it when he was in business school, but he loved The Economist. And so he liked Bloomberg News and he was glad, you know, that he built into this enormous, you know, empire. And he was thrilled to hire a guy like, you know, Norm Perlstein, who, who'd run the journal to come to Bloomberg. And there were many former journal people who uh, were elevated to the top ranks of Bloomberg News, but it wasn't the journal. And I think that that weighs incredibly heavily on him, that these are, in his mind, the sort of beta products in the, in the category, which is where I, I see there's a, a glimmer of truth here, too. And, and you, sorry, one last point that you made that I think is, is also excellent uh, and worth elevating is if you can do all these things, and you kind of pointed this out, you know, a year ago, and you're reporting on, on the Disney boardroom conversations about ESPN, if you can do these things, you contemplate them and you contemplate them out loud to your executives and your peers. And so that's what makes someone like, like Bloomberg what he is. His mind is constantly at work figuring out, can I do this? Is it worth it? What's the price? What's the value? What's the terminal value? What's the transactional value? It's hardly a surprise that these thoughts would would cross his mind when you're at that altitude. You don't have to shut any doors. Right. I think that's right. And your your point about the the sort of jealousy, the envy factor is significant. I mean, Bloomberg, Bloomberg is a powerhouse. It is, it is, it is an incredible business and the terminal business is amazing. But if you just think about the sort of 
what the brand power and, and, and its place in the culture, you know, there's the times and the journal and Bloomberg is out there and everyone knows about it, but it doesn't, it doesn't occupy that, that same space. And I think, you know, in terms of gaming out legacy and things like that. Another thing, just to go back to something you said, speaking of legacy and succession, your point about Rupert, you know, can you, if you do this deal, can you sort of, can you, can you ensure the, that your company is in good hands rather than uh, passing it down to your sons? It would not be the first time that Rupert has done that. I mean, that is part of what was at work in the Disney deal with, with the entertainment assets was that was his sense, which I think he articulated to Iger privately and, and possibly to no one else, was that his sons, neither one of them, were fit to run the company. Which, by the way, is, is the season finale of the last season of Succession. All of these things are at work at the same time. It's, 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 about, it's about the business. It's about the legacy. It's about the influence. It's about succession planning, perhaps. And man, you know, this may never come to pass. <laughs> it might not even be real. But I think it's a story that tells you about what the potential of some of these publications could be in the hands of a guy like Bloomberg. We talk a lot about Iger being uh, restless and, and returning. Bloomberg is the original version of, of that alpha personality. Return to his business after the mayoralty, even though it seemed like he had set up this incredible uh, post-business, post-political life in Bloomberg Philanthropies, um, which is among other things, like the most beautiful building you could walk into in Manhattan. All this important charity work, he, he wants to give away the, the, the vast majority, if not all of his uh, wealth. He's, he's said that publicly. And yet he was drawn back. He and Dan Doktoroff were able to to come to terms with, with Doktoroff eventually um, stepping down as CEO of, of Bloomberg LP so that, that Mike would re- return to the, to the saddle. Um, and, you know, if you talk to people who, who work in the building, he's there, he's there all the time. He's there very, very early and often. He wants to be in it. And so I'm, I'm not surprised that um, he's found another mile marker further down the track to, to run after. Good for him. This will be a fun one to chase down and um, good on Sarah and Mike for getting out into the world. It will either be the story that, that dominates the the media beat uh, in the early months of 2023, or 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 it will disappear by the time the ball drops. But it opens up a whole Pandora's box of questions for me, not just about Bloomberg, but about the Post and about the and about Murdoch World that I think are going to be really exciting to pursue. Well, that's all for 2023, uh, Dylan. Thanks for dropping by, man, and um, I'll uh, I'll see you in the Slack. All right, thank you, John. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.